And when neither sun nor stars uh, in many days appeared, and no small tempest, so it means a big tempest, lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe, God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island. So obviously Paul's in a storm here. How many of you guys have ever been in bad weather before? Have you guys ever traveled in bad weather before? I've traveled in lots of bad weather. Growing up in Michigan, there was always some type of snowstorm. And I remember a couple times when we lived there, there was actually a couple blizzards, like legit blizzards. Like the first year we ever moved there, I don't remember what year it was, there was a blizzard the first year we moved there. And honestly, it was a great place to grow up because you're always looking forward to missing school because there's always a snow day coming here. It's like... There's no real, I mean, it's too hot. I mean, there's nothing really to keep you from going to school. But over in Michigan, snow days, fog days, ice days, all kinds of days. And so we enjoyed it. Anyway, we, we, we've driven through blizzards before. I remember other bad weather, and you probably all experienced this, is um, flying through bad weather. That's scary, right? Turbulence. I remember more than a few times flying through turbulence, and I see people all around me when the, the, the plane shakes, they kind of grab their spouse's hand. They kind of get nervous, you know, their kids start crying. I remember the worst kind of um, bad weather I've been in before was, was in, at sea. I remember one time we were on a cruise ship, and uh, there, was, there was a stormy weather. I'm telling you, it was, it was very, very scary because you don't know what's in the ocean. You don't know if Kraken is in the ocean. You get thrown overboard or whatever. You don't know what's in the ocean. So it was very scary. On top of that, on top of that, you know, turbulence, you can deal with turbulence. You can deal with uh, driving through bad weather. But uh, when you're sailing through bad weather, that does something to your stomach. You guys know what I'm talking about. It does something to your stomach. Makes you not feel so good. So I'd say of all the bad weather I've ever been through, Sailing is by far the worst kind of bad weather, and that's what Paul is going through. Acts chapter 27, the Apostle Paul, this is his personal story of sailing through a storm, sailing through bad weather, and I mean bad, bad weather. But before we get into that, I have to give you some context. I have to give, lay out some stuff about Paul's life, because maybe you're thinking, who is Paul? I don't know the Apostle Paul. Okay, until God had changed his name, the Apostle Paul uh, used to go by the name of Saul. Paul is actually Saul. He was one of the religious elites in Judaism and was uh, one of the finest uh, students of the uh, high priest Gamaliel, who was an esteemed, uh, it was esteemed scholar of Judaism. Paul, then Saul, was one of the, he was on the opposite side of the fight. He wasn't fighting for Christians. He was literally fighting against Christians. And he was so zealous in his fight against Christians that he he rounded up Christians in Jerusalem, threw them in prison, and actually executed them. He was a bad guy. It's scholars and historians agree that he uh, could have killed up to 2,000 uh, Christians during his time. If you think of the Russian KGB, that's kind of what Paul was like in uh, Jerusalem, in Israel. He was a bad guy. 
Then in Acts chapter 9, was Paul, while Paul was traveling to Damascus, he's thrown off of his horse. While he's traveling to Damascus, he sees a bright light in the sky, and he sees uh, Jesus at the right hand of God, and Jesus says, I am the one you've been persecuting. And this was his conversion moment. This was Paul's conversion moment, Saul's conversion moment. And he says, uh, God, what do you want with me? And uh, God says, Jesus says, I don't want you to persecute me. Why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. It's hard for you to kick against uh, the conviction that I've been playing on your heart. From this moment on, Paul became a follower of Jesus and was converted to the very religion he persecuted. He became a staunch Christian after this moment. Towards the end of his life, Paul was put in prison for preaching the gospel, for the, for the crime of preaching the gospel, because Paul had been going throughout the entire Roman Empire, and this is a little soon, but uh, he went throughout the entire Roman Empire teaching and preaching and starting churches. And so towards the end of his life, he, he's, uh, he's taken captive, he's put into prison for the crime of sharing the gospel. During his trial, he demanded his case be appealed to Emperor Nero himself. As a Roman-born citizen, he had this right. And the local government that held Paul was obligated to honor this right, to be heard before the Emperor Nero himself, the emperor of the known world at this time. So this began the long journey uh, for Paul from Jerusalem all the way to Rome to hear and to plead and to appeal his case before the Emperor Nero. And so this is what began his journey. And it's on this journey that our story takes place. So the centurions and uh, the, the guards and the soldiers that were escorting Paul, they were going to escort him by uh, ship from uh, Jerusalem all the way to Italy. And this, is, this is, shows his, his, uh, his, his, his itinerary. So he starts in Jerusalem and he, he sails up through the uh, uh, northwestern coast of Asia Minor. And his goal was to sail all the way to Italy, and his goal was to sail along the, uh, the coast of Asia, uh, Asia Minor and Greece all the way through Italy. But obviously that's not what happens. And he gets to the island of Crete, and this is when stuff goes south for Paul and his crew and his shipmates and the people that were escorting him to Italy. Because he comes to the island of uh, the city of Fairhaven. It's here that Paul makes a very reasoned statement to the crew and the captain as he's in Crete. Look at verse number 9. Now, when much time was spent traveling throughout the Roman Empire to, uh, to this area, to Crete, and when, he was, when sailing was now dangerous because the fast was now already passed, it was late in the year. It had become fall time now. You didn't sail during the fall season because this was a dangerous time uh, to sail. Paul admonished them the crew, the captain, and all the ship people. He says, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading of the ship, but also of our lives. So he says to them, he says, you guys, we shouldn't be sailing anymore. It's late in the year. It's fall. We don't want to be sailing anymore. It's very dangerous. He says, I believe if we continue to sail to Italy, it's going to cause harm to us. We're going to lose our ship. We're going to lose our cargo. It's going to put our lives in jeopardy. Nevertheless, Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. So Paul cautioned the crew and the captain not to strike out to sea. It was fall, and this was a bad time to sail because the winds weren't in their favor, and uh, not to mention this was hurricane season. This is a bad time to sail. Paul warned them that the, the continuing would not only put the ship at risk, but everyone on board. They set sail anyway. They don't listen to him. 
Then this happens, verse number 14 and 15. But not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Euroclidon. I mean, that just sounds scary. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. Sure enough, sure enough, just as Paul said, soon after they leave the port of Fairhaven, soon after they sail away from the island of Crete, they're caught in the middle of a hurricane. The Bible calls it Euroclidon. This is a hurricane that was in the Mediterranean Sea. And you, even to this day, you can find hurricanes and typhoons uh, in the Mediterranean region during the fall season, just like Paul had said. And so they come into this hurricane. The storm was so bad. They had to throw over all the, the Bible says, lading of the ship, all the cargo of the ship, uh, because it was too heavy. They didn't want to capsize. And the third day in the storm, they had to throw over all of their fishing equipment. They had to throw over all of their necessary uh, equipment to live. They throw all of it overboard. And verse 20 tells us that they were so, uh, so swallowed by this hurricane that for days they couldn't even see the sun or the stars. In the daytime, they couldn't see the sun. At night, they couldn't see the stars or the moon because this, they were so deep into this hurricane. It was so bad that eventually they lost all hope of coming out of this life. Eventually, they, they said, said, we're going to die throughout this thing. We're going to lose our lives. They had resigned themselves to dying in the storm until Paul got up and spoke to them in verses 21 through 24. But after a long abstinence, after a long time, Paul didn't say anything. He made, he made him wait. Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. Oh, we'll, we'll talk about that later. But look at this. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you. Nobody's going to lose their life, he says. He says, you guys have done messed up. Nobody's going to lose their life, though. For there stood by me this night. He says, an angel visited me tonight, this past night. The angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, this is what he said to me, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee, he's given me all them that say with me. He said, all of the people, all of you guys are going to be safe from this storm, don't worry. He tells them this, and it changes everything for them. That his God was going to save them through this storm, and not one of them would come to harm. God promised them that he would bring them out of a storm they got themselves into, that Paul warned them not to sail into. In spite of their disobedience, in spite of themselves, God would bring them through the storm. They got themselves into the storm, God would bring them out of the storm. And I want this thought to encourage you this morning. God will bring you out of what you got yourself into. God will bring you through what you got yourself into. We may make mistakes. We may fall. We may fall. Uh, we, we may fail. We may disobey. We may get ourselves into a storm of our own making. Yet even in those times, God will be faithful to get you through it. He will be faithful to you all the way through it. Even in those times, God does not abandon us. And this is such, an, this is such a hard thing for us as humans to grasp. That even, throw, even though we've failed, even though that we've disobeyed, even though we've done God wrong, God still will be faithful to us. Even though he should by by all accounts, abandon us. He still does not abandon us. His faithfulness is greater than your failure. His faithfulness is greater than your failure. It doesn't matter how far off course you drift or how big the storm you get yourself into in this life. God will always be there to get you through what you got yourself into. That's the faithfulness of God. That even though we mess up, God is still there. 
Even though we abandon God, he's still present in our life. I don't know if you've heard this story before. Uh, this, is, this is an old story. I heard this story growing up, and this is the favorite story of preachers. But uh, the story goes that this man and his newlywed uh, wife, man, they, these newlywed couple, man and his wife, they were in this truck. And this was back in the days when uh, trucks didn't have seatbelts. And this man, he would sit down, and he was, he, was the, he was the proud husband. He loved his wife, and they had just been newly married. He would drive that truck. Because there's no seatbelts, his wife would scoot right up to him. You know how you know the old trucks, they would just have one seat in the front. Not, not two seats, just one, the whole thing. No seatbelt, nothing. His wife would scoot right up to him, and he would, he would put his arm around his new, newlywed wife. And they would do this. And for years they would do this. But as time passes, as marriage progresses, you know, she starts to scoot away a little bit. And years go by, they have kids, and years go by, and soon his wife was over on the other side of the truck. She was no longer sitting right next to him. And one day she was riding in the, in the truck with her husband, and she said to her husband, do you remember those days years ago when I would sit right close to you, and our marriage was great, and I, I used to sit so close to you? And his, her, her husband said to her, yeah, but you know what? I'm not the one who moved. You're the one who moved. I've always been right here. You know what God is saying to us this morning through this verse, through this, through this story? He's saying, I am here always. I've never moved. Though you move away, I remain here. Though you abandon me, I do not abandon you. Though you are not faithful to me, I am faithful to you. Though you fail, I am still going to be faithful to you. Though you falter, I will pick you up. Though you abandon me, though you reject me, though you uh, make bad decisions, though you have problems in your life, though you make a storm of your own self, I will still be there for you. When we read the story, we look at the ship in the storm and say, we look at the ship in the storm and say, yeah, give them what they deserve. These guys disobeyed Paul in spite of everything he told them, in spite of the warning. They disobeyed Paul. They should have listened to him. Give them what they deserve. That's what we say. But God looks at them and says, no, I will give them what they do not deserve. You see, they deserve to be in the storm because they disobeyed Paul. They deserved it. God says, I will give them what they do not deserve. I will give them salvation. I will give them redemption. I will give them safety from the storm. You see, this is this when, where we value merit, God values mercy. You see, we say in our human, in our own human lives, we say, well, we need to earn it. We, we value merit. God says, I will give you not what you deserve. I will give you what you do not deserve. It's easy to accept that God will bring us through circumstances we were not the cause of, right? But it's difficult for us to accept that God will bring us through circumstances we were the cause of. The human instinct in us says, you got yourself into this mess, you have to get yourself out. God's mercy says, you got yourself into this mess, but I'll bring you out of it. I'll bring you through it. You see this in Lamentations chapter 3, verse number 22. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. You know, you've messed up today, but tomorrow God has new compassion for you. He has new mercy for you. You know, you've abandoned God. He is still faithful to you. Every single morning you wake up, God says, my mercies are new. My compassion is new for you. My love is new for you. My mercy doesn't run out. My uh, gratitude towards you, my love for you, my sacrifice for you, it is still there every single moment. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. I don't know how many of, how many of you can relate to this, but I remember when I was in college. I remember I had a school bill, as most of you probably did. 
I had a school bill when I was in college, and I wasn't always, I told you guys this before, I wasn't the best student, okay? I wasn't always the best student, wasn't really wise with my money, just wasn't that great of a person, period, right? So when I was in college, I'd, I'd go through college, I'd go through my classes, and I would be sometimes in debt. I'd have a lot, a lot to pay on my school bill. And it was a problem of my own making, right? I got myself into the mess. But you know, every once in a while, perhaps once a year or once every semester, I would get this call from my parents. I always look forward to this call. This is the best call you could ever get. Because even though I was unwise, instead of putting money on my school bill, I'd go to McDonald's, go to Panda Express, whatever, you know, get myself some new clothes. My parents would call me up. They'd say, Dominic, we're going to do you a solid. What we're going to do is we're going to put a couple grand on your school bill to get you all caught up. Man, you know how good it is to, to, to hear that from a parent when you're thousands of dollars in debt, they come to you. You don't deserve it. If anything, you deserve to pay them, but you don't deserve it. You haven't earned it. You've done nothing for it. And yet your parents call you up and they say, here it is. New. Compassion's new. You don't deserve it, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. In spite of your own mess, I'm going to bail you out. That's what Jesus has done. That's what Jesus continues to do. That's what Jesus wants to do for us. While Jesus was on earth, he told us a story proving this. You remember that story of the prodigal son? You remember the story where the, the young man, he's, he's working on the farm with his father. He's working on the farm, and he says to his father, I want to strike out in life and do my own thing. I want to go to the city, and I want to live my own life. Now, Father, give me my inheritance so that I can take my inheritance. I can go out and live my own life. I can go to the city and build myself something, build my own life. And so he takes his father's inheritance, and he goes out, and he, he goes to the city. He spends all of his inheritance. He spends all of his money. He spends it on foolishness. He doesn't wise with what he has. He isn't wise with what his father gives him. And he gets to the bottom, bottom of the barrel of all his money. He realizes he's run out. And not only has he run out of money in this city, but there's a famine in the land that he's now living in. And so he goes and he employs himself uh, to a pig farmer, which had been very offensive for Jesus to tell this story and say that he was employed at a pig farmer because the Jews didn't eat pork. And so he says, he tell, Jesus tells this story and says this young man, he employs himself uh, to a pig farmer. And this, this boy was so hungry because he had no money and there was a famine in the land. He was so hungry. He was so destitute. He saw the pigs and the, the food that the pigs were eating, and he said to himself in his own heart, I wish I could have some of, the, if only I could have some of the food that the pigs were eating. And finally, the Bible says he came to his senses, this young boy. He came to his senses, and he said, my father has food and to spare. What am I doing here living this life when I could be going back to my father? I could be uh, living with him. I could, even the servants have more food than this. So the, the boy, he comes to his senses, and he travels home. And you would think as he travels home, the father would say to the young boy, you're no longer welcome here. You abandoned me. You were not faithful to our farm. You were not faithful to me. That's what you would think. Humanly speaking, that's what you would say he deserves. And yet the father, the moment he sees the young boy, he sees his son afar off, the Bible says. He sees him down the road at a distance. He runs out to his boy and he tells his servants, get the best robe. He takes a ring, his own ring off of his finger. He puts it on his son's finger. He gets the best robe, puts it on. He goes to the store, he gets him some new Nikes. He gets some steaks from Costco. He grills up some steaks. He has a party. He gets all of his buddies from all over town and they have this big party and they celebrate because his boy who was once lost, his 
boy who has once uh, abandoned him now is home. He's now safe. He's now found. That's the story of Paul and this ship. That's the story that we're talking about this morning, that Jesus, even though we make mistakes, even though we fail Jesus time and again, he does not fail us. He is faithful to us. He is for us. He is with us. Before it was all over, did you know Paul and his shipmates would drift 500 miles off course, and they would spend two weeks in the middle of this hurricane. See, these principles of mercy and faithfulness are the very things that drove Jesus to the cross. That's the same thing. You see, we deserve separation. We earned the destruction of our sin, yet Jesus gave us the exact opposite. We deserved separation. He gave us what we didn't deserve and gave us salvation. He gave us what we do not deserve. Instead of separation from God, he gave us salvation to God. Instead of destruction of our sinfulness, Jesus gave us redemption from our sinfulness. God will bring you out of what you got yourself into. But let's turn our attention to Paul because his actions are very important. We're, we're focusing on his crew, the shipmates, but let's focus on Paul, verse number 21. After long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, ye should have... Hearkened unto me, not have loosed from Crete, and to have gained his harm and loss. So Paul reassured the crew that God was faithful and that he would get them through the storm that they got themselves into. But before he told them that, he made a statement that on the one hand is relatable because I would have said the same thing, and on the other hand is challenging. So Paul says to them, basically, I told you so. He says to them, you should have listened to what I told you. Uh, if you had listened to what I told you, this wouldn't have happened. So sorry, not sorry. You guys should have listened to me. That's what he tells them. You guys did this. Now I'm in this with you. You guys caused this storm. You guys are the ones who got yourselves into this storm. And now I am in this storm with you. And in spite of that, Paul stays faithful to his crew, his shipmates, and to his God. In spite of that. Why is this an important statement? Here's why. Paul is staying faithful to God even though he recognizes that he is collateral damage of someone else's decisions. Paul was staying faithful to God even when he was in someone else's storm. You know, it's because of someone else's decisions that Paul was floating along in the middle of the storm and yet he's faithful to God. You know, there are going to be times and seasons and moments in your life when you will be in the middle of a storm, you will be in the middle of a problem, you will be in the middle of a heartache, a hurt, because of someone else's decisions. Have you ever had that happen to you? And yet, in those times, and in this time, Paul is faithful to God. You know, your spouse is going to make decisions that are going to cause problems. The people in your life are going to do things that will hurt you, you will be the collateral damage sometimes of someone else's decisions. You will be in a storm of someone else's making. You know what God's saying? Be faithful to the people God's put around you, even in those times. Be faithful to God, even in the times when you are in someone else's storm. Stay faithful even when you're in someone else's storm. You know, it's, it never ceases to encourage me to see people that me and my wife, sometimes we, we, uh, we, we sit down and talk to other couples that perhaps uh, are looking for some help in their, in their relationship, and we sit down with them. And it's, it's so encouraging because time and again, you see couples that perhaps they're having some difficulty, and perhaps they're going through some tough times, and perhaps they have some disagreements, but they're so committed to working through each other's storms. 
You see, she brings these problems to the relationship. He brings these problems. He brings this baggage. She has these issues. He has these issues. And there's this disconnect sometimes. And yet, they're so willing and they're so adamant on working through all of those things. They're so adamant on working through his storms. And she's adamant about working through his storms. And it's vice versa. And they're, they're working through each other's storms and problems and decisions and baggage in the middle of everything that's going on. That's the heart we should have through this life. In the middle of our storms that someone else creates, be faithful. Your spouse might make a decision that puts you in a storm of their making. Stay faithful. You may be in a financial storm of someone else's making. Be faithful in that storm. Your parents might place you in the middle of a problem you never asked for. Love them through that problem. A friend or a family member might hurt you or make you question your God and your faith. Stay faithful. You may have gone through a storm in your, in your past that you never asked for and you didn't want. But don't let what they have done affect who God wants you to be. What God wants to do through you is bigger than what the storm has done to you. I'm not saying this is going to be easy, but it just might be the, one of the greatest seasons of spiritual and personal growth. Paul never asked to be in the storm, but he was determined to stay faithful to God and to help them through it. Maybe you're wondering, why should I why should I do that? Why should I stay faithful in someone else's problem? Why should I stay faithful in someone else's storm? Why should I be faithful to the people around me when they're causing problems? Why should I be faithful to God when it seems like nothing is working out in my life? Because that's what Jesus did for us. He willingly entered the storm that we created. Jesus saw us in the middle of our sin, our pride, our failure, our greed, our storm, and he entered into it with us, and he took the destruction of it for us. You see this in 1 John chapter 3, verse number 5, and ye know that he was manifested. What does that mean? Jesus came into this world. He pressed into human form uh, to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. What Paul did for his shipmates and what Jesus did for the world God wants to do for the people in our life, and he's given us the means to do it. Look at verse number 25. He says, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe, God, that it shall be even as it was told me. So they're in the middle of the storm, right? Verse number 25, this is towards the end of his uh, spiel, in the middle of this storm. He gets up in the middle of the storm. They're days in this storm. He gets up and he says, Be of good cheer. You guys look at me, that's not that big of a deal. If you're in the middle of a hurricane on a little wood boat and somebody got up and said, it's all good, guys, be of good cheer, you would say, this guy's snapped. This guy's lost it. We're in the middle of a hurricane. We're all going to die. Everyone, in the, if you look at some of the verses previous, the, the people on the ship, they had, they had already resigned themselves to dying. They had already said, we're done. We're toast. We're going to die in this storm. They had already made peace with that fact. They had already said, it's a foregone conclusion that we're going to die in this storm. Yet Paul gets up in the middle of the storm and he says, be of good cheer. He says, don't worry, guys. It's all good. Be of good cheer. That phrase, be of good cheer, aruthameo is what the Bible calls it in Greek. Aruthameo. You know what that means, be of good cheer? It means be faithful and not, or be, be joyful. Not only does it mean be joyful, it means have courage. So Paul gets up there and he, he literally tells them, be joyful and have courage. How? How is he able to tell the people, be joyful, have good courage? How is he, in the middle of a hurricane, able to tell everyone around him, say, it's all good, guys, uh, you're going to be fine, be of good cheer, be joyful, have courage? Why is he able to say that? How, Paul? Why, why are you able to say this when nobody else is able to say this? Why? For I believe God. That's how he's able to say it. 
He trusted in the word that God had told them. How was he able to have courage and joy in the middle of a hurricane? Because he was trusting in God's word to get through that storm. Because he believed God more than he believed what he saw. That's, that's what Paul's saying. When everyone else was drowning in worry, Paul was filled with courage because he was planted in God's word. When everyone else was listening to the voice of the storm, Paul was listening to the voice of God. Paul wasn't trusting in the strength of his ship. He was trusting in the strength of his God. Stress, worry, anxiety, discouragement, all of these things are symptoms of misplaced hope. You see these, all of his shipmates, all the crew, the centurions, the captain, all of these guys were worried. They were stressed out. They were discouraged. They were resigned to the fact that they were going to die. Why were, they, why were they distressed? Why were they worried? Why were they discouraged? Why were they anxious? Because they were trusting in the strength of the ship when Paul was trusting in the strength of his God. They were hoping in the strength of the ship. He was hoping in the strength of his God. When you hope in the strength of your God, there's nothing you can't go through. When you trust in the strength of your God, it fills you with courage. When you trust in the hope of yourself, when you trust in your own strength, when you trust in your own dis discipline, when you trust in what you, can do, uh, what you can do, it always creates worry. You are misplacing your hope. All of these things are symptoms of misplaced hope. Let me illustrate it to you this way. I have a couple objects with me. This morning, I have this movable little trolley thing and a couple crates. Just to illustrate this so you guys understand what I'm talking about. Sometimes I think you guys are a little tired this morning, so I need to, I need to wake you up a little bit. So if I was to, to stand on this, some of you guys, and I start to move around. I was doing this earlier when my dad was like, don't do that. You're going you're gonna to break your neck. You're going to hurt yourself. This is wobbly, right? You can't really trust it. I can't really put my hope in it because it's movable. I could fall if I move too much on this. This is what we do. We trust in our own discipline. We put trust in our overtime. We put trust in our relationship as a replacement for God. We put trust in our money. We put trust in our income. We put trust in our stuff. And not only, it's not just one thing we put our trust in. We're doing this multiple times. We put our stuff, we put our trust, we put our hope in not just, say, our overtime pay. We put our trust in our own discipline, our own intellect. And so we stack it on top, right? And it only makes our life less sturdy. The more we trust in besides God, it doesn't make our life more sturdy. It makes it less sturdy. We're building for ourselves a house of cards, a life that's built on something shakable. And so we, we put our trust and we put our hope in this wobbly trolley. We put our hope in ourselves. We put our hope in our heart. We put our hope in our ambitions, in what we think we can accomplish. And it gets quite dangerous. And it gets wobbly. If I do this enough, I'm going to fall, right? If I do this enough, it's going to hurt. It's going to break something. But when you put your hope in something that doesn't move, it fills you with courage. Why would we then put our hope in things that can break? 
things that can change. Why would we put our hope in money? Why would we put our hope in people? Why would we put our hope in ourselves, in our hearts, in our ambitions, in our income, when we have something so much sturdier? Don't trust in the, in the strength of your ship. Trust in the strength of your God. You see this in Deuteronomy chapter 31. God tells us this. He tells us to do this. Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. Why? For the Lord thy God, he it is that doth go with thee. He will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. You can have courage this morning because he is going with you. You can have courage this morning because he is your platform. Because he is your ship. He is the one that's making your life sturdy. It's not all these other things that is bringing, uh, bringing solidity to your life. It is Jesus Christ. If you're standing on the one who cannot break and does not move, you can be sure that you won't either. This morning, the enemy of your soul, the enemy of your soul this morning wants you to place your hope in the strength of your ship. He wants you to place your hope in your overtime play. He wants you to place your hope in your own discipline. He wants you to place your hope in your own heart, your own abilities, in your own actions. All these things move and break and shift. When you place your hope in things that move or break, it always produces worry. And watch this, it creates an entrance for the storm around you to become a storm in you. You see, when I place my hope in things in this life, the storm around me finds an entrance to become a storm in me. It creates a storm in me, and that's what creates discouragement. That's what creates worry. That's what creates anxiety. That's what creates stress. When all of these things around me are controlling me, when you are planted on God's word, you can weather the storm without the storm weathering you. And you see this to happen in, uh, to Paul in chapter 28. Look at this. Look at this. This is, very, very, this is so cool. Acts chapter 28, verse number 1. And when they were escaped, because God had told them, I will sit, you're going to lose your boat, you're going to lose all your cargo, you're going to lose all your stuff, but I'll keep you safe through the storm. Even though you got yourself into the storm, I'll keep you safe through the storm. And so they wash up on the shores of, the Bible says, Melita. They were escaped. They, then they knew that the island was called Melita. They had, to, they had to abandon the ship. They did the right thing. They had to abandon all the things that they were putting their trust in. They had to abandon the ship that they were putting their trust in, and they had to follow God's word, believe God's word. And when they did, they washed up on the shores of Melita, also known as Malta. Melita. Melita. Which literally means refuge. You see, they quickly found out that they had swam ashore onto the island of refuge. God always leads us to refuge when we're planted on him. When he is our hope, we are filled with courage, and he brings us to refuge. Whether we have caused the storm or not, he'll lead us to refuge. All who seek refuge in Christ will find it. He is our refuge in the storm. He is not our refuge from the storm, but he is our refuge in the storm. They washed up literally on the shores of refuge. When you are weary, when you are tired, when you are worn out and worn down, when you can't take any more, wash up on the shores of his refuge. So um, uh, probably about a couple of years ago, actually, or maybe it was, I don't know what it was, but maybe a year or two ago, me and my wife, we, we hiked Mount Baldy, which isn't that hard of a hike, okay? It sounds, uh, sounds really hard because they put the word mountain in front of it, um, but it's actually, most of you could probably hike Mount Baldy. Um, it's about two hours north of here. Most of you guys, you're gonna, you're gonna, your legs are going to burn probably for the next week, but it's gonna, you're, you can probably hike it. Most of you could probably hike Mount Baldy. I remember hiking Mount Baldy, 10,000 10, feet high, and we hike it, 
and uh, we're getting towards the end. It just seems like it just, it just never is going to end. And, but we, we finally get to the end. There's this really steep stretch, and we get to the, the very top of it. And it was cold up there. There were some patches of snow left up on the top of this. And there was, there, was, uh, there was this wind blowing at the top of Mount Baldy. It was cold. We were worn out. We were beaten down. We were beaten up. We were beaten all over the place. We were just worn out from hiking Mount Baldy. And to top it all off, it was cold. It was windy. And there was snow up there. We were just miserable. We wanted to eat some peanut butter and jellies that we had prepared for ourselves. So we looked around, and we noticed on the top of Mount Baldy, there was some, some alcoves up there made out of stacked rocks. And it was cool because you'd see a couple of people dotted all over the top of this mountain, and they were hunkered down in these little alcoves uh, made of rock, and they were, they were situated so that the wind would blow, and it, it, would, it would hit the rocks, and so it would kind of skip over you. And so me and my wife, we got hunkered down. We had, took some selfies because we're that age. We're millennials. We took some selfies, took some pictures, and we ate some peanut butter and jellies, and uh, we were hunkered down in this little alcove. It was, it was a refuge in the middle of everything that was going on. It was our refuge. When we were beaten down, when we were tired, that is where we found rest. Our refuge, Amanda and I's refuge, was a place. Paul's refuge happened to be a place. Our refuge as believers is a person, Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you this morning. Find refuge in Jesus Christ. Whether you've caused the storm or not, whether you're drifting or you're floating, find refuge in Jesus Christ. He is faithful to you, and I'll leave you with this one verse, Psalm 91. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him will I trust.